Amen. Good morning. How are y'all? Should I turn it on? Yes. Um, all right. Uh, like Nathan said, we are a place of hope, healing, and inspiration for those who engage with us. Really, no matter where you're engaging from, from here or from home or, or wherever. And, and what I hope happens today is that you get more of that from Jesus today. More hope, more healing, uh, more inspiration based on the truth of Jesus based on his sacrifice for you, and based on his indwelling Holy Spirit in you. Um, Because when we say hope, healing, and inspiration, I want to acknowledge that that comes from Jesus, not from just um, feeling good about church. Like, we want you to leave this space transformed by an encounter with the living God of the universe. And his name is Jesus, and I hope that happens today. And so we'll be in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. And as you're turning there, um, uh, how many of you are familiar with Harry Potter, either the books or the movies? Yeah, all right, pretty familiar with it. All right, do you know what the most powerful statement in the entire book slash movies are? All right, in the very beginning... Right, Harry Potter is is with uh, his 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 foster his his adoptive family his his aunt's family and he gets these invitations to Hogwarts. It's time for him to start coming to Hogwarts, right? And so these invitations start coming magically to to the house. Well, the people that are caring for him don't want him to go to Hogwarts. They don't want to have a wizard in the family. And so they keep trying to keep these invitations away from him. And the more they try and keep those invitations away from him, the more they come. And so, so like literally there's this scene in the movie where invitations are flying around everywhere. And Harry's just trying to grab them and they're holding him down. And so this family goes to the extreme. And I, uh, and I don't know how they find this place. Well, it's just made up story. That's how they find it. <laughs> there is a house on an island in the middle of the waves, in the middle of a storm, and it is the only, it is the most desolate house structure, right, that you could possibly find. And so they take Harry there to get away. And then what happens in the middle of the storm, in the middle of this raging sea, uh, Hagrid shows up and knocks down the door and comes in to, to deliver the invitation directly to Harry. And of course, the family that he's with is throwing a fit, and they're scared, and it's a confusing time. And and, and he looks at Harry, because he goes, what is, what's Hogwarts? And and Hagrid says, well, don't you know? And he says the most powerful statement of the entire book. He goes, you're a wizard, Harry. And that one statement sets a trajectory for The rest of the books, if you're a book person, the rest of the movies, if you're a movie person, because from that one statement, we see Harry grow into the wizard that was already declared over him when he was nine years old. And it was declared over him from the moment of his birth, that his identity was a wizard, and there were people trying to keep him away from that. And once that true identity was spoken over him, the rest of his life was living that out. Now, here's, here's kind of where we're going today, and it's this. That the most powerful truth about you begins with the words, you are. 
And those can be spoken or those can be implied. But the most powerful truths about you are truths that begin with the words, you are. One of my favorite stories from scripture is about this guy named Gideon. Right, and, and, and where we pick up in Gideon's life, it's during this time of conflict between the nation of Israel and, and the nations around him. And so Gideon has these chores to do. He's got he's to get the wheat from, from the field and he's got to get it to a place where they can, where they can grind it and, and use it. And so he's doing his chores. And, 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 and in doing this, you get to see what Gideon thinks of himself. When Gideon says the words, Gideon, you are, we get to see what, what he believes about himself. Because what's happening is, is the, the way he would, he would thresh the wheat is, is you take it and you kind of beat the wheat up a little bit. And then you go to a hilltop where it's windy and you take and you throw it up in the air. And they have these big things and you throw it up in the air. And what happens is the unusable part of the wheat is lighter than the usable part of the wheat. And so if it's windy and you throw it up, the unusual, unusable part floats away. And the usable part comes back down to the ground and they collect it. And that's what they use to make uh, to make bread to, 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 to use as, as usable wheat. Well, when we pick up on Gideon's story, he's not on a hilltop doing that. He's underneath a big shady oak tree doing that because he's afraid. Because he's afraid that if the enemy sees him up on this hilltop threshing the wheat, that they're going to come and attack him and take the wheat from him and possibly beat him up or even worse, kill him for this. And so he's hiding. And so we get this, 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 little, this little clip where, where, where it's easy to use our inspired by God imagination to where we hear Gideon say, Gideon, you are weak when he's thinking to himself. Because a brave man would be up on the hilltop, but instead I'm hiding under an oak tree. Well, enter that scene comes the angel of the Lord. And his first words to Gideon, his first words to Gideon is this, found in Judges 6.12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Right? Keep in mind, and the you are here is implied. That's why I put it in the, in the brackets. Because, because the, 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 the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon under this shady oak tree. Gideon, who is afraid of the enemy, and the angel of the Lord looks at him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The rest of Gideon's story that's told through the scriptures is him becoming the mighty warrior that was declared over him when he was afraid and hiding under a shade tree. Because the Lord spoke truth over who he is, and it changed the rest of his life. Now, I'd imagine... Many of us have heard powerful statements followed by the words, you are, in our lives. Right? Maybe you've heard, you are pretty, you are fat, right? You are ugly, you are skinny, you are friendly, you are aggressive, you are smart, you are dumb. And, and, and keep in mind, these you are's can be implied, right? You are, you are perfect. Maybe you've heard, you are filthy. Maybe you've heard you are loved, or maybe you've heard you are loved if you do this. Maybe you've heard you are alone. Maybe you've heard you belong. You see, church, some of the most powerful things we believe about ourselves are followed by the words you are, and the rest of our life is spent living out those words. 
Well, today, what we're going to see in Colossians is what, what Paul has in mind following the words you are. Because the first half of this letter in Colossians, Paul has been letting the church in, in, in Colossae know who they are in Christ. Right? He has been letting them know that, that they are reconciled by Christ, that they are holy, that they are without blemish, that they are free from accusation. He has told them you are rooted in Christ. He has told them you are given the fullness of Christ. He has told them you are alive with Christ. And all these are powerful truths that those in this church in Colossae are growing in their ability to live those truths out. Now, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about identity. And I just want to set the stage here and let us know that this is not the end-all and be-all sermon on identity. This is, like remember, for those of you who have been in college, remember the first day of class where the professor stands up and she goes over the syllabus? And that's it for the first day? This sermon is like the title of the syllabus, Identity. Right? It is. We are going to scratch the surface. And as I was preparing this and thinking through this and praying through this, it made me wonder, and Matt and I haven't talked about this, but man, it would be so good to do an entire sermon series on identity in Christ and really dig into that. Maybe we'll do that in 2024. I don't know. That's a, it's an idea at this point. Not, not a directive. Yeah, it's a wow. We have this thing on staff where we, we say wow versus how um, because sometimes you have an idea and, and the response just needs to be wow. <laughs> right? Because there are people on staff, Amy Hinch, who <laughs> love to go how. How are we going to do this? We've got to do this and this and this, which is incredibly valuable. But sometimes ideas just stay in the wow place. Because they never become real ideas to move to how. And so that's one of the ways we do it on staff. Is this a wow or a how? Oh, it's a wow. It's a wow. If it comes back again later, it'll be a how. But right now, it's just a wow. That's a wow. But I really think it'd be good. All wow ideas sound really good at the beginning. But I do think, like, well, let's just complete. Oh, gosh, I'm so off script right now. Let's, <laughs> let's do a Like, would y'all be interested in a series on what it means to have our identity in Christ, like, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, me too. Y'all want to do, like, who wants to, who wants to teach that? Because <laughs> that is deep, and it is a lot, and we will have to prepare, but, but I, think, I think it would be good. All right, where am I? Um, all right, so that, this is like the intro to the syllabus of identity. All right, let's, let's dive in. Look at uh, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. So, so he spent the first half of the letter telling them who they are, and now he's going to say this is what it looks like to be a person who, who is living out who they are in Christ, right? He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Right? And so, so Paul starts off with this idea of, of put to death these things. Right? Now, now, now Paul says, if, if you remember a few weeks ago, like, like Matt taught us that there was this, this, this error coming into, into the church in Colossae, that, that the way to live the Christian life, the way to live your identity in Christ is by following rules. Right? And so, so some teachers were there in the church and they were saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right? And so what some teachers were doing is they were standing up saying, never, never, never do these things. Just don't. 
Just don't do it. And Paul asks them the question, like, how's that working for you? Because he, he says, that doesn't actually change anything. Motivation to change can't come from somebody outside of you telling you what to do and what not to do. It works to a point, right? But over the long haul, it doesn't. Parents with kids, have you seen that? Right? How many times have you said what to do and what not to do, and it doesn't produce actual change, right? We just, my wife has a a travel agency, and so part of that is we get to go on cruises and learn about all this stuff, so we've been on a cruise this week. And let me tell you what that's like. That's like walking into the dining room where there is this, like, there is food. You cannot point to a place where there is food. And it is like somebody telling you walk, when you walk in, don't eat anything except a salad. <laughs> and then you step in there. And what are the chances that you're only going to have a salad when you walk in there? Let me tell you, it's very slim because that place is designed for you not to eat a salad. Because if you do want a salad, do you know what you have to walk by to get to the salad bar that's this big? You have to walk by the desserts. You have to walk by all the breads, all the foods. You have to walk by everything. And if somebody is just standing at the outside saying, hey, don't eat anything, just eat a salad. By the time you get to the salad, your plate's full and there's no room. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, it doesn't work. And that's what Paul's saying. Somebody telling you what to do and what not to do and that that's the only motivation is to obey the person telling you isn't going to do it. There has to be something else. See, our motivation to change never comes from the outside. It must come from the inside of us. It must come from our identity, which is why Paul has spent the first half of this letter telling the, the Corinthian church, this is your identity. And because of that identity, these are the actions that go with that identity. One of the things Matt has told me is that, is that when, when a person is a runner, the way they become a runner is they picture themselves as a runner. And then they start living out and doing what a runner does. Now, psychology has a phrase for this. It's called our internal locus of control. It's our internal anchor of control. That allows us to live in a way that's, that's true to our identity. And it means how you see yourself is the greatest indicator of what you will do. Right? What you believe to be true in here determines what you do out there. See, if you look back to chapter 3, verse 1, right? Paul is telling them and reminding them who they are, that you have been raised with Christ. This is who you are. This is your internal locus of control. This is your identity. This is what is declared to be true over you. You, as a follower of Jesus, are raised in Christ. That is what is true about you. And because that is true about you, you can put to death these things. You can put to death sexual immorality. And, 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 and what that means biblically is that is sex outside of marriage. Marriage biblically defined as between one man and one woman and a covenant that is intended to last a lifetime. And examples of this are affairs, are, are, are breaking this sexual immorality. Examples of this are are even sex before marriage, is what Paul is talking about. Impurity 
is, is sexual activity in the wrong place. This could be viewing pornography. This could be, uh, you know, with strippers. This could be masturbation. Welcome to Fellowship Asheville. <laughs> if this is your first Sunday, we, we love Jesus and we keep it real. Like this is, this is, this is the stuff that, that, that it's the type of sexual activity that leaves you feeling dirty, Right? This is what Paul's talking about here. Passion, lust, right? evil desire, covetous greed, these are all lumped together because this is, this is wanting something that isn't yours and probably is somebody else's, even to the point, to the point of using and abusing someone else for the sake of your own pleasure. Now, Paul hones in on these because this was rampant in the culture that he was teaching to. And I'm sure that was a problem then, not a problem now, right? But notice how Paul ends this list, and this isn't meant to be exhaustive. Like, the list could go on. But he says, after, after greed, he says, which is idolatry? Because you see, Paul lets us in on something here that, that idolatry, this idea of worshiping something other than God, doesn't, doesn't start with an action, right? It's something we do because of what we believe. That, that I think what Paul is leading up to is he talked about who they are in Christ and now what it looks like to live in that identity of Christ. And then he throws idolatry in there. He's saying that idolatry doesn't start with an action. Idolatry starts with your identity. That idolatry starts with who you believe you are. Idolatry starts with how you, how you fill in the blank. You are blank, right? How you see yourself determines how you behave. And how you behave habitually creates idols in your life. And idols, just so we're clear, idols are those things that we have to have to be happy. And they could be good things, that because of our identity, turn into ultimate things. That if we don't have this, then I don't know who I am. And in our culture, like, like in, in the Christian culture in particular, parenthood can become one of those idols of our hearts. Right? That, that, that we are about our family and we are about growing up and raising Christian kids and that is good but when it becomes ultimate, and this is what's sneaky about idols, they, they bite you in the end, not in the process. Because, because when it, it becomes clear that this was an idol is when the kids are trying to leave home to go to college, to start their own lives, to be married. And as, as a parent, you're left with the question of, well, who am I if I'm not a parent? That's a flag that there might be an idol there. Because who you are, if you're not a parent, is you are a child of God. You are in Christ is who you are. Also in our culture, there, there is this, this, this desire to accumulate things, to have money. We watch home improvement shows so our, our home can look like somebody else's home, right? And that can be good. Right? We, we love having nice homes. We love having things around us. We love creating spaces for, for people to come in and feel welcomed and feel loved and, and hospitality that's all good. But when it becomes ultimate, it becomes an idol. Right? 
Right, the accumulation of things. If, 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 if like you were talking about Psalm 23, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. If that is our identity, then it's okay if our home is a little bit messy when someone comes over. It's okay if we don't have the latest and greatest. Because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. Right? However, if my identity, if I believe at the core of who I am that I am not enough when it's just Jesus in me, then I have to have something else to make me happy. And that is idolatry. And that is why this is so critical to Paul and I think it's so critical to us that our identity is tied to our actions. Because our actions repeated over the long haul can create idols. And so this warning Paul is reminding them, listen, be who you are in Jesus. Put to death these things. Which is why he says this in verse 7. Verse 7 says this. He says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Right? And so those thoughts, those actions, they fit who they were. Because why not? If the, if the culture's doing it and you're not a Jesus follower, it's very easy to see how those things can define who you are. But now that Jesus has come into your life, those things don't define you anymore. In Paul's world, you were either dead in sin or you were dead to sin. And that's how he saw all of humanity. All of humanity was either dead in their sin or they were dead to sin. Either you were dead in your sin, which is what he says in chapter 2, verse 13, that this is who they were, right? This is who they were here, that they used to not follow Jesus and they followed false gods and they believed that, that they, could, they could earn God's favor by being good enough and being smart enough and doing the right thing and going to, to, to church enough. They followed the law for salvation. But that was them then. This is them now. And here's the deal. Like, I'm not a fool to think that this couldn't be true of some of us in this room or people engaging or listening. That you are dead in sin. That you haven't said yes to Jesus. That maybe you think Christianity is about rules and it's about what you do and what you don't do. That is not what Paul, that is not what Jesus taught about Christianity. That Christianity is about who you are. And it is about being in Jesus and saying yes to his offer of salvation and letting the Holy Spirit of God move in and take up its dwelling in you and letting the identity of Jesus become your identity, right? You see, without saying yes to Jesus, your identity hasn't changed and you can try and turn your life around all you want and you may make strides and you may make progress and that is good, but, but until who you are on the inside changes, you're just gonna be turning over a new leaf every time. Or you can be dead to sin. But the Spirit of God living in you eliminates the power and the penalty of sin in your life. Yes, you will still struggle. All right, we'll talk about that in a minute. But sin no longer has a hold on your identity. Sin no longer defines you. Christ defines you. Jesus defines you. You see, and this can be you as well. You can be dead to sin. 
And it's simple. It's saying yes to Jesus and, and, and walking your life in step with him and receiving his gift of salvation that is only found in, in, in his resurrection, right? And his resurrection proved that his crucifixion did the work that it was supposed to do, that it was the substitution that we all need to pay for the, 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 the penalty of sin in our life. And in doing that and saying, yes, you get this whole new identity as a child of God. You get to be who God says you are. You get to be who, who, who God's word says you are. Not who your parents said you were. Not who your friends say you are. Not who your enemies say who you are. Right? Or that elusive but very powerful group of frenemies they have words to say about you too. They don't get to define who you are. And see, your identity doesn't just show itself in your sexuality. It also shows, yourself, it shows itself in another area. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. So Paul's going to make another non-exhaustive list of things to put to death. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Right? And all these are regarding the anger that we experience because, because to be human is to experience anger. It is, it is a core emotion in us. And anger in and of itself isn't evil. What we do with it can be. Right? All anger does is show passion around something. But it's what we do with it that can either be sin or righteous. And we all experience it like, like I don't know, I'll just throw out some scenarios getting kids to school in the morning. There's some anger there on everybody in the car, right? Or getting to church. There can be anger there. Right? When we try to fix something and it won't fix. Technology. Anybody get angry? Right? Someone won't listen to you. Someone cuts you off when you're driving? Like, that's the one that, it's got to be the most useless form of anger that there is. Because they can't hear you. Now, they might be able to see you. Right? But we don't do that. We're, we're a believer, right? We, we don't. But we think about it, don't we? Or maybe you do. I don't know. Right? Maybe someone's being loud when you need it quiet. Right? See, anger, anger is this common undercurrent of dissatisfaction with the world around you. And it's seething, and it's always there, and it's, and it's ready to flip and switch at any moment. And, and the slightest frustration can set it off. It's opposite. Oh, this is, this'll, this'll make you mad. It's opposite according to the book of James, right? Do not get angry. It's, it's, it's opposite are listening and patience. That that is the opposite of anger. Wrath is this sudden outburst of anger. Malice is where anger leaks out, taking shots at other people verbally. It's wanting to harm someone, and gossip can fit into this category. Slander is, it can also be a form of gossip where it's talking bad about someone, and in particular, it's talking bad about someone so that you can look good to the people you're talking to. It's making someone look bad so you look good. That can be slander. Slander. 
It's obscene talk, right? And that's not just cussing. That is abusive language. Like, like in, in marriages, sometimes you see people that are emotionally abused. This is the type of ab- ab- abusive talk that Paul is talking about here. I know we like to call it cussing, but, but it's so much more than that. To lie is to tell any untruth, whether it's a half-truth or a whole, a whole untruth, Right? You see, all of these can have their root in anger, and all of them go against our identity as a Jesus follower, which is why Paul says this in verse 9. Verse 9 says, um, no, wait, yeah, where am I? Yeah, verse 9. Um, uh, do, not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Right? That, that your identity has changed. You have this old self, right? And this old self may have, have had anger issues, may have lived in the, the world around them in a sexually different way than, than, than God is defining as, as the way someone who has their identity in Christ. Like, like, and all those fit the old self, but they don't fit the new self, this new identity in Jesus. That this new stuff is actually used to doing stuff that the old self used to do, but they just don't fit anymore. For those of us who have had a few years out of high school, have you ever put on anything that you wore in high school? It probably doesn't fit anymore, right? That's what Paul's talking about. The things that we used to do before Jesus just don't fit us anymore. And they don't fit because that's not who we are in Christ. But this new self does take some getting used to. Look at what Paul says. Paul says in the rest of verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In the words that I would love for you to circle in that is being renewed, right? Because here's why, right? Our goal is not perfection as a church. Our goal is progression. And so I want to put a, a, a goal for us up here to sum up what Paul is talking about when he talks about being renewed. And it is progression, not perfection, in putting to death these things. Right? That we are being renewed. It means, it means that when Jesus comes into your life, you don't all of a sudden stop doing the things that you used to do. Now, you will stop doing some of them. And that may even be a miraculous transformation, and praise God for that. But here's the deal. Sometimes you just feel like you just got to say it, right? Because it worked for you for years. And Paul's saying, listen, I get it. I get it. But that doesn't match your identity now. You are being renewed, right? And as a church, we want to see progression and what it means to be renewed in all of us. As a matter of fact, as a church, we aren't impressed by perfection. Around here, it is actually a red flag. Right? When we see somebody walking the perfect Christian walk, we go, just, just give it time. Because we know that won't last. Because there's one person that walked the face of the earth who is perfect, and his name was Jesus. And we can see where that got him. It got him crucified, and it got him resurrected on our behalf. We are not a perfect people. Do we want to progress 
and walking in our identity? Yes. I think actually seeking perfection in our faith is impossible. And I think when perfection is our goal, it creates idols. That that is like a powerhouse of an idol factory if we feel like we have to be perfect for somebody else. But pursuing progression under the grace and the goodness of God, that is transformation. That we are being renewed, continually changed into the creation we are. That when we said yes to Jesus, God speaks over you and says, you are my child. You are in Jesus. And the rest of our life is living out that story and becoming more and more like the Savior we love. You see, Paul says we are being renewed, and that is progression language. Will you have outbursts? Yes. But as you walk with Jesus, Lord willing, those will become less and less and less over time. As you learn to trust Jesus more, will you struggle with pornography? Will you struggle with masturbation? Will you struggle with impurity of all kinds? If that was your thing in the old self, then yes, you probably will still struggle with a new self, but that struggle will become less and less and less as Jesus becomes more and more satisfying to you. You see, and how do we know this is true? Like, how do we know this works? Because what Paul's going to do is says, trust me, this works for everyone. Jesus' identity changes you no matter who you are or where you're from. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, there, Here there is not Greek or Jew, right? So your identity works no matter what religion you come from. When you say yes to Jesus, whether, whether you grew up in church, whether you uh, grew up in a, in, a, in a synagogue, whether you grew up in a mosque, no matter where you came from, when you say yes to Jesus, that identity in Jesus is transformative, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, right? Some translations say barbarian, Scythian, like, like it doesn't matter where you come from, what race you come from, what people you come from. Your identity in Jesus is new and transformative uh, in all places, right? And then, and then um, uh, the rest of, of 11, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. It doesn't matter your station in life. Your identity in Jesus is a transformative identity. It doesn't matter what class you come from. But Christ is all and in all. See, Jesus is our identity no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter where we've come from. And you see, you are is a very powerful phrase. It defines what you believe. It defines how you see yourself. It defines, it, it defines you and how you, how you believe you are is, is, will determine what you do. In church, you are Jesus's. You are God's beloved. And Jesus, when he was walking the earth and he, you know, he, he talked about, you know, you must take up your cross and follow me. And a lot of times we hone in on that. Well, what he says right after that, is he says, if you're seeking to save your life, you'll lose it. Like, if you're trying to define your own identity, you're going to get lost. But, he said, for those who, who seek to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever loses his life for my sake will find life. 
Like Jesus is the one who defines our identity. Right? Whoever loses his life will find it. Now the words we speak to ourselves and the words we speak to others are very powerful. And so here's what I want you to do this week based on this. I want you to do two things. I want you to pay attention to the words you say to yourself that follow you are. Right? What do you say to yourself about you are? Right? It could sound like I am. The you are could be implied. I want you to make a list of those things this week. And I just want you to pay attention. Because it may help you understand why you do some of the things you do. But here's what else I want you to do. And this one's going to be a little bit trickier. And it may be a little bit awkward. And so this one we'll just call extra credit. All right? Because what I want you to do is I want you to say to someone who isn't here today and who isn't a part of this church, but maybe someone you know that is a follower of Jesus or someone that you know that is on a spiritual journey and you know that Jesus is the answer that they're looking for, right? I want you to look at them in the eye, not text, not not email, and I want you to look at them and say, hey, I just want you to know you are, and I'm going to let you fill in the blank. You insert the truth of Jesus. You insert the truth of God's character and fill that in for him. You can say, hey, I just want you to know that you are loved by God. And just leave it at that. Hey, I just want you to know that I know you're struggling with sin. This is to the believer. I know you're struggling with sin. But you are holy and blameless in the sight of God because of Jesus. And then I want you to see what their reaction to that truth being spoken over them is. Because I think it'll bless you as it blesses them, right? Now, for those of you who are already thinking about who you're going to ask, your kids are downstairs technically not hearing this message, so you could do that, right? Students might have heard it, but I challenge you to speak it to an adult who needs it. Maybe your kids need to hear it, and that's great. But speak it to someone who needs to hear it. Because this truth revolutionized my walk with Jesus. And it may revolutionize yours. It may revolutionize theirs. Let's pray. Jesus, you have declared incredible things over us about who we are in Christ. And I pray that those would become clear in those scriptures to us this week. And that we would would live out out of those truths this week. And we would put to death the things that, that, that are of our old self and we would walk in the things that are of our new self. In Christ's name we pray, amen.